What's up, everybody? Before we get started, here's a podcast we think you'll really enjoy. What's up, UFOnauts? It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in Our Strange Skies. In Grey We Trust. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for what? What day is this? Tuesday, March thirteenth, two thousand. Yep. Yeah, two thousand eighteen. Uh, my name is Josh Cannon. I'm here with my uh, co-host Mike. Um, I am feeling under the weather as all hell. Uh, I felt, and that's why we're recording this on Tuesday. That is why uh, I felt even worse on Sunday when we normally record to the point to where I felt like. I couldn't record, so that's why you're getting the podcast now. And then the week before that, we did the collaboration with uh, Sam and Liz mm-hmm. from Perhaps It's You, and then Mike was going through some some of his own things at that point. So, yeah, it feels like I've been on like a five month vacation from the podcast. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, shit. Yeah, I'm, I feel rusty. I feel like I I suck right now, which. I mean, you know, we sucked before, according to a lot of people. <laughs> so, I mean, this shouldn't be like that much of a weird, you know, out of sto- sorts kind of thing. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing better, taking things day by day. You know, there's still some stuff going on, but I'm, I'm on spring break right now. Woohoo! Let's go Woo! to Cabo! No. Show, are you going to show us your tits, Mike? <laughs> Mike, I'm trying to make this gender equal, okay? I, I don't really have any, so I don't I don't know what what. Like I just show my skinny chest. Yeah, that's yeah, I get I, no. And your and your man nipples. <laughs> you're on spring break, dude. Come on. You only live once. You're in co- dude, you're a college kid. <laughs> you're you're a frat boy. I don't have the money. All these people talking about I'm going to Cabo or I'm going to uh, Costa Rica or something. Good for you. I'm going Hawaii. Nice. I was born in Hawaii, but I was so young. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> Mike, flashing, yeah. flashing us is free. You don't have to have <laughs> any money for that. Uh, well, what, I don't think whatever. People want to see that for free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll maybe I'll find some beads and toss them on you in the middle of one of our segments during this podcast. And <laughs> you'll just do it spur of the moment. Some people out there might really like it. Um, me not being one of them. Anyway, um, so you know the the fucking possum has been a thing that people have been talking about. Um, that, possum cast. Yeah, it's it's episode two. It's turned into a meme now, and and Mike, I really got to issue an apology because uh, you know all this time I would be uh, harping on you about your toe situation uh-huh. because anytime there was a Q and A. Inevitably, the question of how is Mike's toe doing would get brought up, and I would jump on that bandwagon because I thought, you know, that was kind of a funny little detail that Mike went 
way too in depth about in his, you know, well, that's uh, kind of how I am. But yeah, yeah, okay. I thought it was funny and and people just kind of like brought it up forever. And um, yeah, now I'm getting possum memes here, possum <laughs> memes there. People saying start possum cast. How's the possum posting possum videos, baby possums, facts about possums. I get it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not upset or anything. Um, but no, I have You're to. You're not pissed about the possum? I have to issue you an apology, Mike, because I didn't realize how fucking annoying all that shit gets after a while. Now you can feel my pain. Yeah. It was all part of my plan. Uh, it was a sick. All along. Oh, so you put, <laughs> you put the possum up in my house then. <laughs> no. Oh, Mike has run out of his lithium. It, it is very clear to me now. Um <laughs> No, uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I have a possum that lives up in between my uh, bathroom uh, wall or whatever, and uh, I, I haven't heard from the fucker in a few days. I don't know if he's dead or if he relocated. Um, I even returned the possum cage because it... Maybe he just set up shop. He just has, like, you know, a little tiny table here, <laughs> you know, some chairs. <laughs> Maybe he heard me podcasting so much that he himself has started a miniature podcast <laughs> under my bathtub, and he gets, like, all the woodland creatures from my yard, you know, like, oh, th in this week's possum cast, we have Mr. Boots from the neighbor's yard. <laughs> Welcome, Mr. Boots, you know. <laughs> and they have their own little thing under there. Maybe that's a community and that... And he talks shit about you. Yeah, and, and animal lingo. <laughs> What a cheap bastard. He only free feeds me breadcrumbs. And, he and that trap? Oh, I know. I've seen that trap. It's such a joke. He thinks we're actually going to get caught in that. Yeah. So keep your eyes out. Possum cast coming to a uh, <laughs> fictitious place that doesn't exist near you. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like we're both doing good. Well, actually, I'm not doing good, but... Mike's on uh, some kind of summer break or spring break, whatever. Yeah. What have you been doing? Have you been catching up with your YouTube uh, channel and all that? Yeah, I've been trying to do that. Uh, I just, uh, yesterday I was planning on doing some catching up on stuff, but then a good friend of mine surprised me with Blazers tickets. So that was awesome. I saw the Blazers play the Miami Heat last night at the Moda Center. So that was really cool. And they won. So, you know, it was a pretty... Uh, Pretty decisive victory. It got a little bit close in the fourth, but it, you know we still uh, Blazers still pulled away, and it was it was a great atmosphere, and it's a fun game to go to, and it's always nice hanging out with my friend who actually lives close to me. So it's like I actually have somebody here, you know, and he is a real person. Hang out with. Yes, he's a real person. His name is John. Is he a a, a lover, perhaps? No. Do you have an announcement to make on the podcast, Mike? No, I don't. Okay. Sorry. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Look, if I don't ask these questions, it's going to be in tabloids all over the place speculating, so it's best to squash it at the source than to have it get, go all over the world media. Look, I'm sorry. I'm a little delusional from the Mucinex right now. You guys are going to have to excuse me, okay? Not only that, but I've I've been clocking in a, a nonstop round trip of trying to get this my new album finished, which mm -hmm. it is officially finished now. It's called The Nightmare Inside You, and I have a nightmare inside me right now, and um, <laughs> I will be releasing it tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, March 4th. The Nightmare Inside You? 
And releasing that, you're going to release that tomorrow, or uh, <laughs> I would hope so. I hope that gets released. The physical tomorrow. album and and the actual <laughs> nightmare that is inside me will both be releasing tomorrow, March 14th. Uh, it'll be available on Bandcamp. I'll probably put a, a trailer of uh, all the songs. Sounds like it might be a one of those might be an allusion to mental illness. I would think maybe possibly Mike, nightmare inside me. You you are a scholar. You are scholarly, <laughs> and all that college is paying off because it is an allusion to mental nice. illness. Absolutely, but there are many different forms of nightmares inside you. Mm-hmm. Addiction. Uh, yeah. Whatever you know, so it it cover. It's not a concept album, but it covers a bunch of stuff. Um, it's got um, vocals on the album by um, mm-hmm. my n- new addition to the band, Stephanie. Um, so that's going to be exciting to see people's reaction to uh, her vocal contributions. And so I've been working on that. Just not any time I have free time in my day, I'm working. I, I was working on the album because it's all self produced. Everything I do in my life is all by myself except for this podcast but uh it's all self-produced so we didn't go and spend millions of dollars at a fancy record studio or recording studio getting this album done so uh, it's also it sounds really good and you know i'll put a trailer for it at the end of this podcast you can take a listen if you like it you can buy it so without further ado uh, we'll go into the story of georgia tan um this was a this is a great case um Unsolved Mysteries, it's one that I've seen before, but it was brought to our attention, or my attention, I would say, because uh, one of our listeners who preferred to remain anonymous um, actually messaged me out of the blue one day and asked me if I had ever heard of the Georgia Tan case, and I said, um, well, I hadn't initially, but when she reminded me, uh, it was like, oh, is that lady who stole kids from people and put them up for adoption? I was like, oh, yeah, that bitch. She was a horrible person. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, um, before we get... That whore from hell. Before we get started, uh, I'm just going to read a little, uh, par- well, not paragraph, really, but a few sentences from um, this listener. Um, and she says, uh, My grandma was put up for adoption through Georgia Tan and was adopted to my great-grandma who lived in Illinois at the time. There was some sketchiness with the paperwork they were given, including Tan withholding the birth certificate. All the paperwork we have could even be falsified. Georgia Tan did that regularly. So this sets up a nice little precursor to uh, the story that we're about to uh, talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is of Georgia Tan, one of the world's worst people, not the most wholesome, yes. as, as they would have had you believe in the uh, 1940s. Not, mm-hmm. not a wholesome person. What's crazy, she looks uh, like she might be related to my grandmother, so it's this kind of conflicting weird emotions. And like, <laughs> I see her, and I kind of see my grandmother, and then I'm like, well, my grandmother's sweet, and she's kind, and she was like a mother to me, and she's not a bitch, so, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. That... But, but it's still like, and, her na- and my grandmother's name is Georgiana, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's a pretty name, Mike. I think it'd be not neat if you, maybe if you had that name. Georgia, you're just, Georgiana. You're just, you're just totally just out of it. Hey, look, anything. Musinex <laughs> Josh over here. Yeah, I'm, dude, I'm not even a regular character today. I'm Musinex Josh. So anything I say <laughs> cannot be held against me in a court of law. 
Nor in the court Mucinex of opinion. Man. Yes, Musinex Man. Musinex Man is on the podcast. <laughs> so let me tell you guys something. From 1924 through 1950, Georgia Tan ran the Tennessee Children's Home Society from a stately home on Poplar Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee. Tan used it as a front for an illegal, I'm going to say foster home, uh, and adoption agency that placed over 5,000 newborn infants and children from toddlers up to age 16 to sell what Miss Tan called high-type families in 48 states. So she's selling children to high-type families. I'm assuming yep. that means in her in her lingo, rich, probably white, mm-hmm. given the time period. Um so she used manipulation, deception, pressure tactics, threats, and brute force to take children from mainly poor single mothers in a five-state area to sell to wealthy parents up until outrage, <sighs> lawsuits, and complaints spurred a state investigation into her tactics, and it closed her down in 1950. But, it, but she still had a lengthy reign of terror. Like, from 1924 to 1950. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of lives that were ruined. It's a lot of kids who were kidnapped. And a lot of fucking bullshit that... I I mean, when I first saw this, I was shocked. I was just like, what? Like, normally, Lost Loves, I'm thinking, like, oh, you know, they had to separate because they were poor or something, and then the adoption agencies came along, and now they're looking... Now the... Now the kids are looking for their brother or their sister or something, or or you have the hat box baby thing or something like, okay, all right. Usually it's kind of like heartwarming or a little bit tragic, but nothing like this extreme. Not to the point of like, it's, hey, little girl, come on. You like my van? You like my limo? You like my nice, you want to take a ride in this black limousine? Come on, you could do it. And then go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, she had over 25 years to, you know, stand to gain financially from all this as well, which we'll later find out. So, protected by the infamous Edward Hull Crump, she regularly altered and destroyed the records of the children processed through her custody. It did not conduct checks on the adoption homes to which she sent children. It is believed Miss Tan craved the wealth and power that her position and role afforded her, hopefully to eclipse her locally famous father, who was a judge in Mississippi and who had prohibited her from entering the field of law. So she was a pissed-off, would-be law student? Okay. She delivered speeches about adoption in Washington, New York, and other major cities and was consulted by Eleanor Roosevelt regarding child welfare. Good. Wow. Lord. Unsolved Mysteries didn't tell you all of this. No. So, this makes it even more frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So many children died while in Tan's care that at one point the infant mortality rate in Memphis, Tennessee was highest in the country and many more depth, deaths were never reported. Fuck. Jeez. Holy shit. This, this, this is a lot worse than what Unsolved Mysteries made yeah. it out to be. <laughs> I know. But it was still really bad. Unsolved Mysteries, you know, was still showing you how bad it was. I mean, but not to this extent. Like, this is like turning things past 11. Yeah. So, notable celebrities such as Joan Crawford, June Allison, and her husband Dick Powell, Smiley Burnett, and Pearl Buck used her services as well as the parents of New York Governor Herbert Lehman. 
Tan's death prior to prosecution in 1950 led to more stringent laws and adoption in Tennessee in 1951. Fewer than 10% of these stolen children were ever reunited with parents or siblings due to the wow. complicity of local and state officials such as juvenile court judge Camille Kelly, who provided about 20% of the children adopted out by Tan and difficulty finding true and accurate documentation. To me, she was every bit as instrumental to this uh, just despicable uh, travesty of justice well, it, as it, it was, Georgia Tan was, yeah. because she's the one that passed through a lot of this stuff. Uh, she was a judge. And... They, uh, so I don't think Tan would have been as successful as she was in terms of getting all these kids if it wasn't for her, uh, Judge Camille Kelly, who apparently at one point in time there was a poll, a nationwide poll, and she was on a list of six most well respected and well regarded women and in, in the, in the world, according to, to the people in, uh, this particular poll, you know, who took this poll. And the list included people like Queen Elizabeth. Oh, no, you, you left out a key uh, word there. It, it was uh, the six most wholesome women. Yeah, wholesome. Yes, wholesome. It was wholesome. I think, yeah, it was respectable and, and wholesome and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, the six... But she was one of the most respected women, period, by a lot of people because of what she did for the orphans and for the, the uh, Tennessee... Children's Home Society. Yeah, I mean, first of all, what kind of, like, report, or what kind of, like, poll is that? Like, what does wholesome even mean nowadays? <laughs> like, that is just such, like, a... like a, Well, that shows you the time. That's... that's Yeah, early 1900s kind of, or yeah. mid-1900s kind of thing. 30s, 40s, yeah, yeah. But Robert Taylor, the investigating attorney, had this to say about uh, Judge Camille Kelly... Mm -hmm. He said, I'm confident that Camille Kelly was involved with Georgia Tan in this operation. Georgia Tan could not have carried it out without her, and Camille Kelly could not have lived the life that she lived without having outside income. Yep. So um, he also went on to investigate Georgia Tan and her orphanage, finding that her orphanage was a front for a baby-stealing and black market adoption organization. He believes that Judge Kelly was actively involved in the cover-up of Tan's operation. He followed Tan's assistant, who often flew in the middle of the night to Los Angeles to bring stolen children to their adopted families. He also discovered that Tan charged childless couples a fee for background checks for adoptions that would have never yep. taken place. In total, she gained over $1 million from her operation. Taylor, Which is a lot of money even now, but back then... Oh yeah, that was absurd. Yeah, let me let me pull up my trusty uh, inflation calculator to see uh, how much money uh, one million dollars approximately was back in uh, the 1950s. So we'll do one million dollars. So according to my uh, trusty inflation calculator here, uh, one million, uh, you know, around one million dollars in 1945 in February of 2018 would be $13,988,258.43. Yep. So, yeah, she was... That's a big chunk of change. She was balling. She was very wealthy from this uh, awful bullshit going on. Cindy Lou Presto, which is pretty much what 
this case kind of opens up on and focuses on, she was one of the children, quote-unquote, found by Tan and placed in her orphanage. After she was adopted, Cindy asked her parents about her birth family. They refused to tell her anything. After her adoptive mother's death, she found correspondence between her parents and Tan. A few weeks later, she learned that her birth name was Sandra Lee Bridgewater and that her birth mother's name is Evelyn Bridgewater. The two were soon reunited after 32 years. Cindy learned that in 1947, she was abducted by Georgia Tan while playing at a park when she was just a toddler. Yeah, the reenactment here is... um, it was pretty good. Uh, it's first rate. I thought it was a first rate reenactment. Uh, they did a good job making it look like it was from that particular time period. I thought the actors all did their jobs really well too, especially the actress playing Georgia Tan. Yeah, and that's another thing. Like Unsolved Mysteries does a lot of period pieces, and anytime you do a period piece, like everything in the scene has to be pretty much like from that time. So it can be the like those can be really costly sets and Mm -hmm. pieces to do so i mean it looked really good and that that uh car that she was driving man i would i'd love to have one of those old-fashioned it was almost like a chitty chitty bang bang looking like yeah black car you know like but this this time it's shitty shitty bang bang oh i see what you see what you did there mike you you (laughs) man you are a scholar that college is for sure because 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 it's a you get in in that limo and you're in for a shitty time yeah, I mean, at least she didn't molest the kids, you know, because, I mean, that's something that would, if the, yeah, I, if this was a typical yeah, Unsolved mystery story, there would also be molestation yeah, in the I mean, mix. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that also, I guess, uh, that's just one more horrible, no good thing that didn't happen in that or- <laughs> in, in, in her organization, but she, it's still one of the worst organizations, she's still one of the worst piece of shit human beings that i could think of for sure um even talking about her makes my voice crack apparently because i'm just like even my body has like an adverse reaction to to the awfulness of georgia tan uh yeah just reading the things like the amount of people that died you know all these kids that died yeah that's crazy well you gotta figure um you know the the wealth the, the kids were nothing but a paycheck to her so you you'd got to figure yeah. the treatment of these kids in this orphanage uh would would, would have to be awful you, you i mean it's literally just keeping them alive long enough that somebody it probably be even worse than Oliver like please sir can i have some more like you don't even get to that point in in, in her orphanage like you don't get more or you don't even get to say more cuz you don't get anything well, you could like suck in like a stomach full of air if you wanted to, and that was probably acceptable. You can have all the air you yeah, want. Yeah, you can have all the all the air you want. Yep. I just imagine her being like, "What are you hungry for? You have air." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, two of Tan's former children, Lynn Hines and Nancy Turner, are looking. Wow, Hines. That's that's the last name of one of my my. Uh, there's probably no relation here. Well, that's the last name of my grandmother's mo- mother is Hines. Oh, okay. wow, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and Nancy Turner, they're looking for their birth families. In 1949, Lynn was five years old when she was adopted by a wealthy California couple. When she was an adult, she learned the truth about her adoption and began searching for her biological family. 
she, Nancy, and several other children are hoping to find their families. But a, a lot of them haven't, though. Um, no. Like they said, what, 10% or something? And Georgia Tan herself, uh, she basically got away with it. I mean, because she never really served justice. Because uh, the, Taylor presented a report to the governor on September 12, 1950. But then Tan died of cancer just three days later. Yeah, isn't that convenient? And then uh, Judge Kelly resigned two months later, and then the orphanage was finally shut down. But by that point, there was already, like, almost, what, 30 years of, of damage that was done? Right. And, at that point? And it's not like, you know, there was no, like, philanthropic bone in Georgia Tan's body, because they tell you in the segment that she went on to buy, you know, multiple properties. She had a summer home. Mm-hmm. She had investments in uh, organizations that were to stand to benefit her. Um, she was, yeah, she was just, uh, you know, I got to give it to her. She was real ballsy for a woman, a woman back in those days, like doing that level, you know, that's like some mafia type level shit. You got some woman doing it back when women could barely have a voice in society, let alone like make millions of dollars off of stealing people's children. So it was very gutsy on her part, but, uh, that still doesn't make it right. And Another thing is, like, I don't feel as bad for the children because it's like, yeah, that shit was horrible, but, you know, you're so young, you barely remember any of that. Who I really feel bad... Uh, I, uh, I well, let know. me finish. Let me finish what I'm saying. <laughs> Who I really feel bad for is the parents of those children because the parents, are the, or especially the women who had the children, because they had to carry that kid to term. They had, you know, yeah. they had the kid, and, you know, that kid... I just, I see it in my friends now who are starting to have children. They change. They, you know, this, mm-hmm. this, the box gets opened that you can never, you know, that you can't unring that bell. Once you have a kid, you just have a love for that child that, you know, other people just don't understand until they have their own kids. So I feel bad for the parents of these kids uh, who got stolen, uh, especially more so than I do the kids themselves. Because a lot of these kids, they could have, since since they were being sold to uh quote unquote high types um you know rich folk they they could have essentially had really nice lives you know they could have yeah but I, uh come on contrarian mike bring your bring no, your opinion. I, I can i can i can see your point i mean the parents of cindy for instance who were asked to file adoption papers and they're like no why do we why should we have to Put our daughter up for adoption. That's stupid. And then her daughter, their daughter, still gets put into adoption because of a corrupt judge who just is like, "Oh, Tan brought him some more kids. Uh, I need some more money for my booze and put more money in my, you know, put more uh, booze in my booze cabinet." I don't know if she was drinking or not. I'm just, I'm just making illusions. You're projecting. Or, you're projecting your raging I'm alcoholism a, onto her. No, I'm just making illusions. Uh not illusions, illusions. Um but I'm anyway, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> Doesn't help that you're Mucinex man. Right no, Mucinex man is not making anything easier <laughs> on me in the understanding. So anyway, I get your point. Parents they 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 are definitely going to remember more of the trauma and things like that that's associated with 
the child napping, but I mean, unless you were one of the kids that died in the orphanage, that's that, what I'm that, saying. That I feel... That's what I That's what I was trying to go to because, like, you skipped over that, and I was like, "Yeah." Then I feel. Well, I feel then bad. I feel worse. I feel more bad for the parents, you know, than the kids. It's a, you know, I don't feel that bad for the kids. It's like what the kids that died. <laughs> No. Mike, when you were impersonating my voice just then, you made your voice slightly deeper. I do not sound like that, okay? Yeah, that was highly offensive. <laughs> or maybe... I wasn't trying to impersonate your voice there. I was just quoting, you know, something. Mike, but, Mike yeah. we, can, we will fucking rewind this tape back and play you doing that if we... I'm 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 bluffing right now, Mike. I have no I have no <laughs> capability of rewinding. First of all, it's not tape; it's digital. And second of all, <laughs> there's no way we can rewind a live recording. So you, yeah. So I have no legal leg to stand on. Yeah, in yeah. This. So anyway, yeah. Sorry. I, I definitely see Josh's point with the with the parents. I agree with him on that, but I just think it's a shitty deal all the way around for the parents and for the kids, especially you know even the kids they might not remember that, but once they figure that out. Like that just totally destroys everything. Like they're they're all just like, well, I've been living a lie my whole life. And you know, I would get upset at this situation as though it were some standalone thing. But the sad thing is, I know it's not. I know our government and political systems and judges. I know the whole fucking thing's fixed, and this shit happens all the time. And it just so happens to be, you know, who you know. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the whole thing is fixed. I would say there definitely are places where uh, things are more fixed than others, for sure. But I I would argue against the whole idea that everything is fixed. Well, like that's that's getting that's getting, that's getting into conspiracy theory levels, like Jesse Ventura on True TV uh, type of. Mindset. I was thing. using hyperbole, <laughs> but just then by saying everything. But but you know the when you think of government, you think of corruption. You think of you know corrupt yeah. judges. You think of you know bullshit that that. Well, I'm just saying that because I I have a relative. He's an uncle uncle of mine, and he was a judge for many years, and he really didn't have any corruption or anything like. He wasn't corrupted, and he didn't take any buyouts or anything, and he actually was a judge in Washington D.C. Well, damn, Mike. Oh, fa fancy <laughs> pants connections in Washington over here. I don't know as much about you as I think I do. I'm really starting to get. I'm not super. I'm not super close to to that uncle though. My grandmother's more close to him because uh, it's she. Uh, he's her brother. Wait, wouldn't that make him your great uncle? It could be great uncle, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure great uncle. But they call they. I don't. I know it gets it gets it gets confusing. We don't call we don't do great uncles and shit. Yeah, in my family. it doesn't it's have just uncle, right. uncle, it, uncle, and uncle. It doesn't have the same ring not. to it. I agree. Like I have like second cousins, and I'd have to be like, oh, this is my second cousin Scott, who actually recently <laughs> passed away. But you know, it was it was just easier to say, yeah, this is cousin Scott. He wasn't, you know, my. Uh, well, may he rest in peace. I didn't know that. Yeah, so. I mean, we weren't we weren't that close. Um, okay. He actually the last like one of the last things he said to me was on Facebook um, uh, when I posted uh, a picture from a wedding I was doing, and mm. I thought I thought in the picture I looked with the lighting and everything, I, you know, my hair was slicked back and I was wearing a suit. I thought I looked like a mafia guy, you know, like a gangster. And uh, <laughs> he commented and he, he said something like, "You look like queer bait" or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> 
and he thought he, you know, he thought he like he felt bad after he said it, and he even told my brother because him and my brother were close for some reason. Yeah, he's like, I feel bad. I, you know, I, I feel like I, I offended, you know, your brother, and I wasn't trying to be, you know, like that or whatever. And then he died like a day or two later. I, Ooh. Which made me feel bad because it's like, yeah, you know, he's an old, he's old school. He was, I, I don't know if he was busting my balls or just straight up being homophobic, but either way, it was like I didn't, I didn't hold that against him. I'm not like the th- yeah. thin skinned, you know, weenie. I, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, cousin Scott, you old bastard, you know, <laughs> like what? Yeah, it's not the Seinfeld episode where they had like that. They went to dinner at this older lady's uh place and then uh one of them said something that was offensive about a pony oh and yeah then, <laughs> the pony and then <laughs> elaine was talking about the pony and she and jerry's like and Seinfeld, he's yeah. like who gets a pony like honestly yeah. you know and then the lady was like i i had a pony in the old country i yeah, loved yeah, that like, pony oh. <laughs> yeah yeah and then she dies later yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that was uh that old man. He like you felt so sorry. Anyway, uh, getting off tangent here, but <laughs> it's a similar thing though. Yeah, like the whole holding a grudge type thing. Yeah, I mean, but, um, I mean, for once, like I wasn't the one who said something that was a jackass thing, <laughs> and then someone dies, you know, because that would totally be like fitting in with my character and like my luck. Yeah, I would say something fucked up to somebody, and then they die. Like that would make me feel awful. But he said something fucked up to me, and then he died, so, you know. Yeah. Well, you can't really, like, that's the thing. You can't really fix that scenario. You can't resolve that situation. I mean, I've said out loud, I'm like, Cousin Scott, I forgive you, you know. Like, I I, I know, you know, I know you told my brother you felt bad about, you know, but, you know, just know Uh that I wasn't offended, you know. Like, I was... That's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. But that's all you can really do. But anyway, when it comes to uh, this whole baby napping situation it's just crazy how something that looks so wholesome and had all these accolades and all this press and all this attention had this just sinister side to it that you would never even expect that was kind of the that was kind of the 1900s like the from like 1900 to like 1960-ish and and like that whole period was had this whole facade of uh this nice you know nuclear family dynamic you know with the smiling kids in the front yard and the mother and father that were together with the yeah the 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 mother knows best or father knows best the beehive hairstyle leave it it to beaver leave it to beaver family yeah but then meanwhile you know you had blacks getting run out of the south by the ku klux klan you had georgia tan stealing infants you had uh Asian internment camps in the U.S. I mean, things were fucked up back then, too. I mean, maybe not as much as in, in some areas as they are now, but uh, in other areas, they were more fucked up than they, they are now. So, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm using swear words. Oh, no. Uh, um, but you con- convicted about that right now, Mike? <laughs> no, I'm not. I just remember that post that you posted on Facebook, which was just funny. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Someone called me. Someone called me an object because I use curse words on my YouTube channel. I'm no longer human. I'm an object. We're both objects, Josh. I'm a I'm a sex object. <laughs> well, it seems be- like you are at you know certain bars you you uh, work at. <laughs> oh God, Mike, just throwing in all the connections, <laughs> tying all the knots up. 
tying things together with the Georgia Tan case, I would have to say that this case and this whole scenario is just absolutely horrific, but it does have one positive thing. It has had a drastic and uh, fairly effective, I would say, effective effect on adoption in general. Like, it finally, you know, because of her, I mean, she got busted, and then things were changed for the better. So, I guess this is one of those things you'd be like, well, everything happens for a reason, but then again, you could be like, well, do the kids die for a reason? Do they? It's one of those things like, this shit should have happened earlier. <laughs> I'm going back on what I said, because I'm like, this shit should have happened earlier. It should not have waited till like, 1951 to have made the adoption rules a lot more strict and uh, less susceptible to corruption and, and kidnapping. Agreed. And death. <laughs> that was very dramatic, Mike. I liked that. Death. All right, let's move on to our next case of Stuart Heaton. This was a request uh, from who? I don't remember, but you know who you are if you're listening. There's more death. Yes, in this case. a little bit more death. <laughs> Not as much death as the uh, Georgia Tan case, but there's there's a, uh, a smudge of death. A smidgen. Just a little. Just a little. A smack. A, a smack of death. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the case of Stuart Heaton. This is a request, like Josh said, from someone that uh, either of us are, are uh, don't know and are drawing a blank on. We both apologize. We hope you enjoyed this Pretty typical this at this point, though, for us, no. honestly, to not remember <laughs> who requested. But anyway, uh, this was a segment that was in the final appeal section, which those are hit and miss for me. Some of them are like, yeah, all right. Other ones are like, no, you did it. Stop it. Yeah, Just for those of you who don't know, on Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> they had these segments that I forgot all about. I forgot all about until we started doing this podcast and rewatching. Well, there was also a spinoff series called Final Appeal, but like it never didn't really. There's there like a few episodes, and then it got canceled. okay. But anyway, a Final Appeals case on Unsolved Mysteries is basically. You know, the old adage, you know, the jail is uh, full of innocent men, you know, because they're all saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. Well, a final appeals case is when somebody is so compelling in either the evidence or they as a person that Unsolved Mysteries will actually do a segment where they kind of present the person's case while they're still in jail. And I guess in a way, Unsolved Mysteries is kind of like, you know... Hey, you know, you should take another look at this guy in the in the evidence because he might actually be innocent. So that's what yeah. this case is. And, 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 you know, it did a good service because there were some cases where it was legitimate. Like, they really were innocent. Like, the mentally handicapped uh, uh, young man who was framed or um, the mother who was thrown in jail because they, they thought her her baby was murdered. Uh, with uh, antifreeze, but then they found out that it was actually just a rare genetic disorder, which is why the baby died, and the mother didn't poison the baby with antifreeze. This one, though, it's one of those cases where when you f when you watch this segment, it's conflicting because you're like, 
when it's over, you're like, eh, you know, th- there's a lot of things that it's, it brings up that does make you doubt it. It does. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence. There's uh, the DNA stuff. But then, you know, at this point in time, maybe it was like an early it was early in the DNA thing. And it was not necessarily as much of a slam dunk as it is now. So it was one of those like, eh. That's crazy you know, like to think maybe, about. Maybe. Yeah, it is crazy to think about for like, sure. Like there was a, there like, was a time when DNA was still being debated, you know, like this new technology called DNA evidence, you know, like it was still being talked about on the show like, you know, it's this new kind of thing, you know. It's it's yeah. cuz you know, it solved so many cases at this point. One of the things about these segments though, they tend to be really long. That's one thing I've noticed with these final appeal segments is they tend to average at least 20 minutes, if not more sometimes. Oh, no, not 20 minutes. Um, well, th- this was clearly 20 minutes or, like, close to that. Oh, God, help this us! Is, this is a pretty long... I mean, I'm just saying in terms of the episode, I mean, because the, the, the segment, the, the entire episode is an hour. You take away the end credits... And, I mean, you take away, like, the commercial breaks, and it's only, like, 45 minutes. So, I'm just going to get straight to it. Um, this is the case of Stuart Heaton, like I said earlier. Uh, it is interesting to watch this case, because it's one of those... The DNA evidence is potentially unproven, and this whole spends this whole time talking about it, and then this just does these other things. And it does definitely leave some doubt in your mind at the end of the segment that he might have been innocent. But as we're going to find out, not the case at all. So in July of 1991, Carpenter Stuart Heaton was accused of the murder of a high school sophomore named Crystal Nab, who was found raped and stabbed to death with scissors in her parents' trailer on July 23rd. An autopsy showed that she was three months pregnant at the time. Stuart was an old friend of Curtis Nab, Crystal's brother. According to Curtis, he had been to the Nab home several times. Police were suspicious of him because of the cuts on his hands, which he claimed were from his job as a carpenter. And even has a a wonderful quote where he's all like, do you remember this quote where he's talking about? Oh, what he, what he's, uh, when he's talking about the uh, cuts on his hands, he's like, I'm a carpenter. Any real carpenter has cuts on their hands. If you don't have cuts on your hands, you're not a carpenter. You're just an observer. (laughs) Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I thought that was the weirdest quote ever. Like, what? <laughs> it was, yeah. You're, I, oh, you're a carpenter? Let me see your hands. There's no cuts. You are just an observer. Like, who the fuck sits there and observes a carpenter anyway? Like, like there's this whole, like, mob of... Unless that carpenter is Jesus. <laughs> I guess. I mean, there's this whole mob of people around you like, Ooh, look, he's about to apply the leg to the chair. Oh, my God. Oh, he's going to use the, the nail gun now. Holy shit. You, you and he didn't really look like a typical, you know. He didn't. When I think of a carpenter, I think of someone like Bob Vila or somebody with a full-on beard or something. Yeah, my carpentry bias over here, carpenter bias. Yeah, but, that's yeah, it's very specific carpenter bias. Yeah, but but I just I don't know. He didn't look like a carpenter to me. Um, but anyway, there were even like people in the comments section, like uh, in the forums, talking about this case. I was like, "I'm a carpenter. This guy's full of shit." <laughs> um, so I, I find that funny. Also, at the same time, that I, I guess when you look back at this segment, you look back back at this case, you can see look at stuff like this and be like, "Well, that does sound kind of defensive." 
you know? If somebody is guilty of something, they'll, they'll go like, but, well, you know, well, I'm a carpenter. Like, if, if you don't have cuts in your hands and you're not a carpenter, you're just an observer. Yeah, and this guy, by the way, Stuart, Stuart Heaton, um, <laughs> he is, he is, uh, he has never been in front of a video camera before. That that is plainly obvious in this interview. This is one of the most bumbling, awkward interviews I've ever seen on this show. I agree. It it is pretty painful to watch at times because you're just like you feel bad for him. You're like, oh man, like which. Know. But it now that he's been proven to be guilty, you're like, I I don't. I really don't. Feel, well, I mean, honestly, this is bad. why this is why sometimes maybe you shouldn't appear on camera, and why maybe sometimes people don't because if you can't compose yourself, if you if you carry yourself the wrong way, even if you are innocent, people are gonna because people are fucking stupid. They're gonna look at you and they're gonna be like, "Oh, he looks guilty," you know. I don't. I don't like. Well, it's like uh, it's like Paradise Lost. They saw those kids and the, you know they were wearing black and were into heavy metal music and shit. And yeah, yeah, it, it, it's guilty. impossible to not have any biases, which is unfortunate, but it's the world we live in. Well, I mean, it's true for me too. I have carpenter carpenter <laughs> that's, bias. That's yeah, that's very true. If you went to go find a carpenter <laughs> and he didn't have a beard and a good bit of flannel, you probably wouldn't hire him. <laughs> and that's fucked up on your part, but we all have biases. We have to. Mike has probably some of the lesser extreme or uh, you know harmful biases, mind yeah. you. Um, but it's still a bias nonetheless. What you have vinyl bias, vinyl collector bias. Uh, yes, I do, right. and I uh, <laughs> I don't like Croatians. Really, I have a big problem with the Croatian people. Oh, so you don't like uh uh people from Croatia right? I honestly don't like some, I, I honestly just wanted to pick like a group of people that I didn't like and I figured isn't that in Bosnia right I have I, I have no idea like I, I just figured <laughs> Croatia would be the probably the least likeliest country that would actually listen to our podcast so I just said Croatia I'm gonna feel really well, gonna be like three three people from Croatia <laughs> uh, I bet uh, there's gonna be like one guy sit, sitting in like some little apartment in Croatia with like uh, like one of those you know those big foam fingers <laughs> with the it's got we got our logo on there and he's gonna be listening to us and he's gonna like throw it in the trash and like <laughs> run to the bathroom crying like uh. he said he don't know like a Croatians a fuck him <laughs> asshole <laughs> So, uh, Stuart was an old friend of Curtis Nab, Crystal's brother. According to Curtis, he had been to the Nab home several times. Police were suspicious of him be uh, because of the cuts on his hands. He said that they were from his job. However, he also had cuts on his forehead and other marks on his body. That's definitely suspicious. Authorities also found that he had a truck identical to the one seen by eyewitnesses outside of the Nab trailer on the day of the murder. The truck's driver also matched Stuart's description. One of the witnesses described unusual and distinct hubcaps on the truck. Uh, I wonder what makes them unusual and distinct. They, they were the first uh, series of those spinning rims, you know, that are... <laughs> they, they, he, was the only, he was the only white guy who had those. No, they were made out of wood because he's a carpenter and he, and he made wooden hubcaps. Or wooden spinning hubcaps. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. I bet I bet they uh they were hubcaps and they had they were embossed with a portrait of Martin Luther King Jr. 
eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's why it was bizarre to the cops. <laughs> okay. That is pretty bizarre. <laughs> the the peanut butter and jelly sandwich part, not, not the Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, good part. thing you said that, Mike, because you were about to lose <laughs> all of our black listeners. You really covered your ass on that one. <clears throat> um, so... Let's just get let's, just, walk on let's get this shit show over with, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. There's a fucking shit ton of text on this fucking thing. I told you, reading's hard. <laughs> not easy. It's not as easy as people make it look on those fancy TV shows. So, the truck driver matched his description. One of the eyewitnesses described unusual and distinct hubcaps on his truck. A uh, mailman who knew Stewart identified his truck as being outside of the NAB home that day. Also, the witnesses noted that the truck did not have any toolboxes in it, in it. A neighbor told police that he had helped Stewart put toolboxes in the truck several hours after the murder. Stewart was indicted in September of 1991. Then a blood sample was taken from Stewart, and it was shown to have matched the semen found in Crystal's body. The probability of being at someone else was 52,600 to 1, even at that time. However, Stewart's mother claimed that there was other evidence at the crime scene that did not match Stewart. At trial, Curtis Nabb said that he found Stewart in bed with his older sister, Melanie, about two years earlier. However, Stewart claimed that Curtis's testimony was inconsistent. Stewart's wife, also a witness at the trial, she stated that Stewart had different clothes on during the afternoon of the murder than during the morning. Prosecutors suggested that Stewart had hidden a pair of bloody blue jeans sometime during that day. Two more witnesses gave Stewart an alibi for the time of the murder, 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., but the prosecution was able to show that their testimony was unreliable. Stewart did not testify on his own behalf at the trial, claiming that his lawyer had not prepared him and that it was against his religion. Like, that was the one that really threw me for a loop. And then it, that's all, that one also made me pause. Like, the whole being so defensive of the cuts on his hands and then being like, I'm not going to testify because... Uh, I only testify in front of God, you know. Yeah, that's not, that's kind of a red flag, you know. I mean, that's a that's a little too convenient, because you know the whole oh you're per, you're that's my religious freedom you're messing with there, buddy. You know, it's kind of like uh huh, that's a that's convenient, and it sounds like For it sure. sounds like complete bullshit too. You know, oh only, you know only God. I only can judge yeah, me. Yeah, whatever. And well, Cle- clearly that was... <laughs> if, if God exists, he's definitely judging you now, Stuart. <laughs> yeah. So, um... So, yeah, he said it was against his religion. A DNA expert testified about the odds that someone else's DNA was found in Crystal's body. The odds are actually lower than what is normally allowed in most trials of DNA evidence. Despite this, Stuart Heaton was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death death of Crystal Nab. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Despite the circumstantial evidence and DNA evidence for the prosecution, some claim that Stuart was railroaded. Investigative journalist David Protz began looking into the case after Stuart was convicted. He looked at the records for trucks registered in Ramsey, Illinois, that matched the description of the truck seen outside the Nab home. He narrowed down the list of 12, including Stuart's, that matched his description. One of the other truck owners apparently had a lengthy criminal record and knew Crystal. Hmm. Okay. All right. That's definitely an interesting lead. According to the statistic on the DNA sample used at trial, there were at least 4,800 people in the United States. 
that had the same profile as the one found in Crystal's body. Stewart's new lawyers found that Dr. Robert Allen, the DNA specialist that testified at Stewart's trial, had retracted his methods that he used to identify Stewart's DNA in Crystal's body. Proach stated the DNA sample in Crystal's body was old and crusty. That's gross. Uh, first of all, it was. They said it was like a clear yellowish, uh, yeah, dr dried substance that had semen in it, and it was on one of her pubic hairs. Ugh! Uh -huh. Yeah. Gross. I don't want to hear about that. But you know what's even more disgusting was there was one unsolved mystery segment. I think it had to do with the Boston Strangler, actually, where they had to where they mm -hmm. dug up an old dead body of a woman and found seminal fluid on her pube. So it was an old yeah. dead pube, which is even more disgusting. So yeah. then we also have <laughs> there's nothing. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, it's gross, Olympus. Oh, your cat <laughs> had to comment too. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Um, can you imagine Robert Stack talking about uh, the DNA sample on Crystal's body was old and crusty and should not have been used at trial? No. He also found evidence of subjectivity in Allen's reports. Allen's colleague felt the DNA evidence is not strong enough to convict a person. However, the prosecutors maintained that the other evidence, including the various witness statements about the truck and his driver and the cuts of Stewart's hands, were also key in proving Stewart's guilt. To this day, Stewart's guilt or innocence in this case is debated. The case first aired on the December 16th, 1994 episode of Unsolved Mysteries. The case was also documented on The Investigators. And they focused more on the guy uh, who had the truck that knew Crystal, I think. Now, I know there can be instances where stuff can be planted or things, you know. For example, uh, The Making a Murderer on Netflix... Like that, that's some pretty <laughs> uh, damning evidence against that uh, police department. Um, but I initially I was thinking like maybe this could be something that could happen. And then this bombshell is dropped. In 2001, a new round of DNA testing was done that proved Stewart was a killer. The chance of it being someone else's DNA was over 31 billion to one. So you're saying it's a pretty good chance? Yes. Yes. I'm saying there's a chance. <laughs> uh, however, some supporters still believe that he is innocent despite the DNA evidence. It's 31 billion to one. Okay. I mean... But I've heard, I've heard some of their arguments. They say things like, oh, well... I mean, you're welcome to have a different opinion. I felt that way initially when I saw this case. It was like, well, you know, maybe you could be innocent. This DNA might be old. It might not be reliable. Multiple different people on a truck. Da, 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 da. Seems like a lot of circumstantial evidence. And then 31 billion to one is dropped. And you're like, well, you know, I, I can't really argue with that. But some people, if they want to argue with it, cool. And I, I've heard some people say, well... You know, they think it could be uh, DNA evidence that is being that like something got mixed up, like they had her DNA mixed in with things. So that's why they're getting the result that they're getting or something. I don't know. And in the mugshot they have, he looks pretty guilty. But I mean, it's just a mugshot. I mean, a lot of people look guilty. In mugshots. Uh, I'm looking at his picture on the Wikia page. He actually looks like he could be like. Bob Saget's stand-in or something. 
maybe a close relative to Bob Saget. He'd be on uh, Full House. He definitely looks like uh, he's got the bags under his eyes. Hey, I have bags under my eyes. Well, I do too, but I mean, that his are really dark. <laughs> maybe it's just the lighting. But regardless, I... I I think he's guilty. I think uh, 31 billion to one is something that I think is puberty, puberty inducing, gun. apparently. Yeah, puberty inducing. <laughs> <laughs> Damn allergies. Is that all we got on old, old S. Heaton? Yeah, what do you think? You didn't say barely anything about any no, That's because I don't care about this case and I'm only doing it because it was a request. <laughs> I I I really I I don't care. Uh, it, this is this is a case that I thought was pretty interesting the first time I saw it, and I mean honestly, my thoughts on this case as I was rewatching it for our episode tonight. Um, I mean I didn't I didn't um take hardly any notes, and in the conclusion I kind of came to was like, I I don't fucking know. Nobody knows. Except him, I guess, you know, and the person who killed the, the lady. Nobody really knows. They got all this evidence and this, that, and the other, but that's been proved. I don't mean nobody knows. I mean, 31 billion to one. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's it's probably true, you know, sure. But, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't have a lot to say on it. <laughs> I, I, the, look, the only notes I got from this case was the quote about you're not a real carpenter, you're just an observer. The fact uh -huh. that DNA was being debated at that time is like a, kind of this experimental form of evidence. And the uh, third note I had was in the reenactment when the police are taking Stuart Heaton to jail. He goes, Karen, call my mom. <laughs> Those are the only notes I have for this case, so... <laughs> Shows you my level of interest. That's all I got. Well, that's that case. Uh, Mike, didn't you say you had some updates for us? Yeah, there's an update on the Matthew Chase case. Uh, apparently, uh, we actually know who killed what originally, him. What originally happened in that case, briefly? Um, Matthew Chase was, uh, the young man, uh, who was a Los Angeles, California resident. He went to an ATM late at night and he ended up disappearing. They found him dead later. There's security cam, uh, footage that shows Matthew Chase with some guy with a bandana around his face, uh, who is pretty much accosting him and at gunpoint. So... They were wondering, like, who it was. Now, apparently, the case has since been cleared by police. They believe that Matt's killer was a gang member named David Bear Meza. Ironically, he was killed just two days after Matt vanished. When inter interviewed by police, Meza's girlfriend identified him as the man seen in the surveillance photographs. Other circumstantial evidence also linked him to the crime. However, the possibility still exists that there were accomplices involved. Okay. I never thought there would ever be an update for that case, so that's honestly really cool. Uh, it doesn't say how they they stumbled upon that evidence. Not on Wikia. Mm. 
Was that was that the only update? Yeah. Well, that was slightly anticlimactic. Well, I mean, there are some other updates too, but I have to look them up, and I we'll save that for a later episode. Yeah. We can talk about stuff like uh, in uh, Florida. They're trying to pass the daylight savings time. I love that. First of all, I I hope to God that happens. Yeah, they they, I think it passed a certain amount of of uh, congressional whatever the fucks, and now it's gotta get a final vote or something. But it's been like passing with flying colors through any time it's come up for vote. So I I really hope that that becomes a thing. It would essentially abolish daylight savings time in Florida to where we would always be, you know, uh, where... where well, yeah, Florida's not alone. I mean, there are some other states that don't have daylight savings time. Well, yeah, like Arizona, so. I think, is the only other one. That would be fantastic, though, because with my work schedule, like, I go to bed super late and I have to wake up kind of late. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it just, it's a mind fuck whenever, like, winter comes and... The clocks go forward and, you know, you, you w- I wake up and, you know, a few hours later, it's already dark outside. And then by the time I'm going to bed, the sun's already coming up. And it's just, I don't know, it just kind of fucks with your mind a little bit. Like, it's so much nicer during the summer when it stays light out until, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. And the sun doesn't come up until you know, six thirty, seven, seven thirty, whatever in the morning. Like for me, it's just, I hope, I hope they pass that. There's no good reason why they should keep doing. Well, yeah. Even farmers are like, we don't even need it anymore. Yeah. It's, it's so. stupid. It is the stupidest, most inconvenient thing. Like nobody enjoys it. Nobody likes it. It's, it's dumb. They, they should get rid of it altogether. I don't, I agree. Well, I think that's the podcast for this week, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, I would say so too. I think we're both running out of gas. Well, I'm. I think with me, I didn't get enough to eat before I decided to record this. I thought maybe some chips and some baked beans is enough, but apparently not. My stomach is just like, nope, that ain't enough, bitch. <laughs> yes, and the phlegm is starting to. The, uh, anyway, I won't. I'll spare you those details. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so if you would like to find us on Facebook, we are on um, Facebook in the groups section. Uh, you can find us on there by typing Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries into Facebook and then just search the groups. So we should come up. There's some cool shit going on in there, guys. I can't tell you about it because then it wouldn't be an unexplained mystery, would it? You can like us on Facebook by re- the regular fan page, which honestly sucks and is inferior to the, the, fa- the group page. But that's facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. If you uh you can consider supporting us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You get the podcast early on there, uh, except for this week, um, because it I was sick. Um, but it's usually out early. Damn it, Josh. Yeah. There's other <laughs> there's other benefits on there that we're gonna I swear to God, I've had a lot going on finishing up this album, so on and so forth, but we're gonna do better with the Patreon. Um, I know I just made a really great sales pitch to anyone out there, you know, to, that was on the fence about supporting us on Patreon. That's the, I'm the consummate salesman. What can you say? Um, where else are we? Uh, oh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at UncoveringUM. 
And uh, I try to post exclusive content on our Twitter that you can't find anywhere else. It's still the only place you can find my mugshot from that one time I went to jail for drinking and driving. <laughs> um, I also posted the letter that John and Cosgrove and Terry Moyer's lawyer sent me. That's You can only find that on the Twitter, our Twitter account. Did you hear about there's going to be a Comedy Central uh, Unsolved Mysteries parody show? Yeah, I think I heard ramblings about that. Whatever. I might check check it out. And um, you can find me and Mike separately, but always equally on YouTube. You can find Mike, youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does movie reviews, mainly. That's his bread and butter. What's the last movie you reviewed, Mike? Uh, the last uh, video I put up was actually a, uh unboxing video. And uh, the one before that was a podcast. Another podcast I'm doing with another good friend of mine. And uh, But the last review I did was... I'm trying to remember what the fucking last review was. Well, you have a, you have well, a Spawn review coming out, right? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what's up uh, next. But yeah, I can't believe I you mean, haven't gotten to that one yet. I figured that one would be way in the back catalog for you. Nope. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> and you can find me on YouTube by searching YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts. Um, I haven't had a lot on there recently, but man, now that I have this album finally done. You better believe uh, the YouTube channel. I'm hurting. Uh, I miss that YouTube channel, so I'm definitely going to be going back there. I do, uh, damn, I do video game reviews. I do movie. I do fucking everything but the kitchen sink on there. I do taste testing videos. Uh, The last video I put out was a trailer teaser for my new album, which you'll hear at the end of this podcast. Um, But uh, the video before that, I, I rated, I think it was Weird Al's top 10 original songs. Meaning songs that are not parodies. Yes, he did write songs that weren't parodies of anything else. So you hop on over there and check that out. But uh, yeah, for me and Mike, I think that is it. So until next week, have a good rest of your day or night and try not to die. Bye. See ya. My new album from my band, Dancing with Ghosts, is finally out. You can purchase The Nightmare Inside You by going to Bandcamp. The link is in the bio of this podcast. More online retailers will become available shortly. Thank you guys so much for any and all support. It literally means the world to me.
the six most All right, respectable. We're, we're, we're spoiling. We're, we're yeah. not spoiling, but we're we're we need to save these thoughts. Yeah, for right. initial whatever the fucks. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like a, a little bit of attitude. You're like, okay, fine. No, I was just saying, fine. Fine, fine Josh. Fine. <laughs> God, my neighbors must think that I, because you know they they all know that I live alone. I, I guess I'm just I'm such a big fan of unsolved mysteries. I'm imitating that one guy in that segment we talked about a, a while back. It's like fine, just fine. All right, I don't remember it's that one guy who like I talked about it. It was the guy who kidnapped his ex, took her to that uh, restaurant, and then she escaped. And there's like, well, how are you doing today? Fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh god damn, man. You're... That'll be fine. Because I think it was something. Would you like anything else? That'll be fine. That'll be fine. Thank you. Aggressive. Oh, you, uh... you, you, and your fucking aggressive, angry male energy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I should have known in my bones that bringing up the possum thing was going to become like this meme. But good God Almighty. <laughs> I, I guess I guess feel the, my pain. I guess the general rule of thumb is uh, anytime you bring up a a slightly mundane comical aspect of your life, people just like cling to that shit. You know, I've been wanting to do a a, a Canadian uh, special, like, a, uns- oh. like an episode that features all Canadian like cases okay. and shit, like as like a token of appreciation right. to our Canadian listeners, because I know we have a lot of them and they really yeah. are. Gung-ho. So even even our first Lost Loves, uh, I think we talked about our Lost Loves case before, but that one was still pretty weird too. Like the George, whatever, Papa da blah blah blah. Oh yeah, his no, last I li- name was. I liked that case a lot. Like I like I wouldn't mind redoing that. No, if we I wouldn't find either. Segment. Yeah, that's that so because that's a good segment because you're like, you know, good for him to actually go in and put all that resource and his, all those resources and effort to find his kid and. You know, it's crazy too because his wife just all of a sudden, I'm gonna join this cult, and then, then she got take to, my kid. She got to OT level six, and then the shit hit the fan. Well, speaking of that, they're getting a TV uh, network. Really, like the NRA TV thing, Scientology TV. Wow. Yeah. Looks yeah. Like, looks like I need to get cable again just so I can get that shit. I don't think it's cable. I think it might be one of those like streaming things, like on Roku or Amazon. I'm not 100 percent sure though, but I know on Roku and Amazon they have uh, NRA TV. Oh my god! Is it, is it just a bunch of girls gone wild like like DVDs? No, no, no. NRA TV. So yeah, it's I got, know. I, I I can imagine like you know someone who you have multiple different gun his, historian shows like. Antiques Roadshow with guns, but there's one host who's like way into guns that you you swear like he he masturbates with them or something like that because he's just talking about them in a way. It's like this gun is sensuous. Oh God! <laughs> and then you have like another one where it's like, oh, we'll take girls and we'll we'll uh, show them how you know they're they're thinking about using guns, so we'll surprise them and ha- have them shoot. Guns and then none of those words do you want in a sentence together. We're gonna surprise them with guns and shooting and uh, surprise and guns are two things that are (laughs) not good in the sentence together. And then you have like the the promos that are just over the top, like Charlie Daniels talking about uh, a bunch of nonsense, like 
basically talking about like you haven't met the talking about like uh i guess uh what happened with the previous like oh the pansy uh uh pansies in the previous administration blah blah blah, blah, blah. You, and, and you know talking about like the terrorists or whatever and he's all like well if you think you you've met america you haven't met america you haven't met the the guys in in, in the florida or whatever who go in and and st- wrestled gators the bare hands it's like what the fuck are you talking about charlie daniels go back to singing <laughs> go play your devil f- went down to georgia go play your okay? fucking fiddle man like <laughs> uh, man. that's all that's all i want to hear from you charlie daniels is the devil went down to georgia i don't want to hear this nonsense i don't want to hear your fucking like, TV. Alt, alt-right you know bullshit <laughs> propaganda speech over there you whole fucking <laughs> south will rise again bullshit <laughs> Uh, it was from a stately home on Poplar Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee. Tan used it as a front for an illegal foundling home. What the fuck? Really? Are we already starting off like this? Found- I don't know what a foundling home is there. Foundling? I don't know what it is either. Yeah, I, I, my brain was like, what? So much so that I couldn't even finish that. I mean, I feel properly. like I feel like I'm like in a marathon, like jumping like hurdles right now, like with these words, you know, like Poplar foundling george well you didn't even say her real name which is balula balua it's beulah i think beulah 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 Beulah. (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's start this again uh from uh, 1924 to 1950 beulah tan ran the tennessee children's home society but no i mean um yeah, yeah, I, I, I did this party. Uh, I did DJed a, a birthday party for this forty-something-year-old uh, woman last Saturday, and this guy starts. Uh, and I totally felt for you in the moment, Mike, because this guy, the random guy at the party, never met him in my life. We uh-huh. we start chatting, and he's he tells me that I'm the first DJ he's ever met in his entire life, and I'm like, no way, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. uh, but I'm like, seriously, I was like, you've never been to like. You never, like, partied or anything in your 20s? Never went to a club, anything like that? And he goes, nope, nope, never did that. He's like, I've only been drunk three times in my life. And I start laughing at him because I thought that I thought he would start laughing too and be like, yeah, I know, what a loser, right? I've only been drunk three times in my life. But, like, he was, like, dead serious. And come to find out, he's, like, this big, you know, religious guy. He's, like, really big into, you mm-hmm. know, Jesus and his church and this, that, and the other. And, um... Then he starts telling me about how he's like, young man, you were living in the worst time. I feel sorry for you because you were living in the worst time that we have ever seen. You know, he's like, I fought in Vietnam. Uh, he's like, I fought in Vietnam, <laughs> but that was nothing compared to what you're going through. And I'm like, man, I wish you old people would really just cut it out with the whole, you're yeah. living in the worst time ever in this country. Because it's the end times. Yeah. And it's like, okay, first of all, they've been saying that shit since the 1950s, 1940s. <laughs> With, since World War well, II, even basically. earlier than that, like the people of uh, man has tried to predict the end of the world, like for since centuries. since the beginning of the world, probably yes. since day two of the world, <laughs> there was probably some jackass going. I mean, yeah, this was a nice twenty four hours, but I'm telling you, you know, forty eight hours in, not not so much with the living and the surviving. Why am I an old Jewish comic just then? I don't. know. <laughs> the really, forty eight hours. Would... I don't know. Not so much. No, that was Bill Cosby. It would be. It would be more like this because they probably wouldn't have sp- spoken English, so they'd just be like, Ugh, 
Uh, you know, uh, ooga booga, but uh, ooga booga, booga booga booga, you know? You know, geez, tough crowd tonight with uh, three people here in the audience. Uh, but no, this guy's talking about how, like, you know, we're going through. But, you know, to bring the whole rambling point back home, <laughs> it's like I point to times like these that w- happen, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And it's like, uh, yeah, pretty sure the world has always been screwed up. And just because yeah. just because you're getting old and you want your thing that you believe in to exist so bad, you're going to impose your biases all over my world and my life and my timeline that I'm going to be alive. There goes like eternal listeners. Like just there's some listeners. Honestly, if if they've made it to this point, then they're, they're, they're rooting for us. (laughs) They're not rooting against us. But yeah, I just, I get sick of that. I get sick of that, that debate. Yeah, I get sick of that dialogue. I I mean, it's, it's. Especially when they just, just come out of nowhere and just start foisting that on you. It's like. And I even told him, I even go, oh, so when Hitler was like killing like thousands of Jews, God's chosen people back in the, you know, 1940s, uh, you mean to tell me like now is worse than then? Somehow now is worse. Somehow now is worse. God, uh, Hitler killing off God's chosen people. That was that was nothing compared to now, where we are not at war. Yeah, there's some screwy stuff going on with North Korea and the Middle East, but there's always. Well, are we technically still at war? I mean, it's technically you know the war on terror. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm, we're. I'm, I, th- I think, th- I, but I still think there's soldiers that are. We're occupying. Over. I think we're still yeah. occupying areas over there, but we're not. I don't think we're technically at war with them. My point being is that shit's actually better than it used to be. So fuck off with that negativity, you old bastards, <laughs> and stop being so afraid of death that you have to. Dang. That you have to cling to your religious beliefs so much Damn. so that you got to preach to people like me who still have their whole lives ahead of them. Yeah, that's right. Mucinex man's Mucinex man backs down to no one behind a microphone miles away. Maybe maybe a Mucinex man's rants will end up on on uh, an iTunes review once of the, the one star variety, <laughs> or on the cutting room floor. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see if I'm still Mucinex man by the time I'm listening to this to edit it. But um. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely do agree with your point. Like, like that's pretty much what I was saying earlier. Like, shit was, you know, there was shit, there was shit that was uh, fucked up back then, and there's stuff that's not as fucked up now as it was then. But you know, there's always been some kind of crazy, <sighs> awful things that have happened in any generation, really, one way or another. Um, no one's better when it comes to being the worst. <laughs> And, you know, um, there's all that childhood nostalgia and all that that plays into these people's stories about how they think things are worse now. Because yeah. I honestly think, you know, just from an entertainment perspective, I think music is the worst now that it's ever been. But that's... Well, I could see that. But that's because I'm a thir- you know, almost 30-year-old man, and back when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> shit was different. The music was a lot different. There was actually like guitars in the music, and uh, uh, well, I think it's where you find it. I think popular music is at its lowest point nowadays. Uh, I don't but, know. But like when you try to look for more of like the more uh, some of the more independent stuff, I think that's closer to kind of what you're looking for. Even the independent music sucks now. I was listening to the independent channel. So. You- 
So your music sucks? Is that, you're like, oh, my music No, sucks. like the <laughs> stuff they're playing on the radio. I was listening to the... the in- well, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about finding stuff on your own, like independent Motherfucker, I got XM satellite radio, not, okay? That's well, supposed it, to be outside, it, it, the ra- outside the box. Well, not anymore. That's not outside the box anymore, oh. like XM satellite radio. Mike, I just got to quote you the lyrics to one of these indie songs. And, and just, just to give you an idea of what we're working with here in modern indie music... In the lot, this is a ton of B-roll footage. <laughs> it, it might be, it, it might be. The line though is, "My lips, your lips, apocalypse." Oh, well, that's fucking bad. Oh, okay, that's bad. damn, that is. Give that motherfucker a Grammy. That is prolific as fuck. Oh, damn, I can just, I can just feel the all the hipster beards. Tickle, tickle in my nutsack after that line. Jeez. My lips, your lips, apocalypse. Genius. We got to know where to look. Apparently. Or actually, you know, look on SoundCloud or, you know, do other things like that. Like, even even satellite radio is more mainstream now than it was in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I'll probably, no, I'll probably be B-roll footage. <laughs> that, was a, that was a long, <laughs> long rant. Just ranting. Well, you know, Mike. Josh Rance. Mike, we haven't <laughs> talked for a while, and it's and it's yeah, I know. It's like you know, this reacquainting is, with. You could just you could make that the bonus, just Josh Rance. <laughs> it's like re- reacquainting with an old high school crush, you know that that you had a crush on, and yeah. you know, I, I it's like one of those things where like we hung out a lot, but I never made a move, and now now <laughs> it's like I'm sitting close to you, and. The light, the the moonlight's hitting your glasses a certain way. I don't know. It's just, totally it's just enchanting. Awkward as usual. I, I, you know, not not expecting anything else <laughs> or anything less. <laughs> this is the case of Stuart Heaton. This is a final appeal case. Uh, a case? What? A what? You know, Mike. Uh, if you don't acknowledge your flaws and you just keep going, a lot of times people don't even notice. But, that's not the kind of guy I am. I, I just try to. I try. I mention it and then I try to. You know, try to make it a part. You of try that, to ling. You, know. you try to linger on your mistake for many moments, so it really sets no, in. No, I, I try to make it a part of the the whole deal and just kind of poke fun at myself, like I just did. But now it's now it's now it's now it's even now it's even worse because I now we need an edit. Oh no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not editing this. You're not editing. This? I might. I don't know. I might actually. Edit. <laughs> um. All right. <clears throat> so we have the case of Stuart Heaton. Uh, this is a final appeal case, and I, when I first saw this, I really was like, holy shit, he's innocent, and then did some more research, and then saw more updates, I'm like, holy shit, he's guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, in July 1991, Carpenter Stuart Heaton was accused of murder of a high school sophomore named Crystal Nab who was found raped and stabbed to death with scissors in her parents' trailer on July 23rd. An autopsy showed that she was three months pregnant at the time. Stuart was an old friend of Curtis Nab. Stuart! Uh, so, uh, Crystal's brother uh, was... Uh, da, 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 fuck. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it doesn't say that, s- Mike. All of a sudden, it's like super, like, I don't know. Dude, reading's hard. Don't let anybody trick you out there and make you think it's easy. Reading is very difficult, as illustrated perfectly by the both of us. I'm just going to start over again. So, 101, 13. 